The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Well, tonight's shapeshifter trained as an electrical engineer, but went into retail, became an executive assistant to the MassMart founder, Mark Lamberti. He later became chief executive of MassMart. He stepped down when Walmart bought in and then looked to work in the power sector. He was on a short list of two for the CEO job at ESCOM. This was about 2017. He was en route to his final interview. He got a phone call, was told not to bother pitching up. The board had made its choice and Marcelo Coco was appointed. He became chief executive of Edcon instead. It was in the midst of a tough turnaround when COVID struck and the lockdowns happened. 26th of March 2020, certainly a day I won't forget and neither will he because the lockdown was going to push the business over the edge and it wouldn't be able to pay its bills. At least one person on a 400-person conference call recorded this. In the midst of uh, our own stress and fears, we acknowledge the material impact our financial situation has on you and your businesses and the devastating effect our decisions will have on your operations. We can only sympathize with you. Excuse me. We hope that we will all emerge from this and get an opportunity to repair the collective economic damage. Management and the board of Edcon wishes you and your employees and your families safe good health during the upcoming weeks. Well, my thanks to my producers for chopping off my choke at the end of that because I was sat there listening to Grant Patterson and just considering the enormity of what we were facing. And certainly as we look back on it, my worst fears in that moment came true because we lost two million jobs. That was the, the reality of those lockdowns and that heart attack sudden stop. And Grant Patterson today is the Managing Director for Africa at Heliogen. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment, Grant Patterson, but that was a hell of a rough day. And then, of course, a hell of a rough couple of months after that as well. Yeah, Bruce, it was actually for me the, the uh, I mean, listening to that took me back. It was actually the end of two weeks where this I had a slow realization that we had arrived at the end. And that was after the president's first announcement of the of COVID being an official problem. Uh, our sales dropped by 30%, 40% per day, and uh, we knew it was over. And that, that call that I was making then was the first time I'd really told anyone outside of the business. Uh, and, and, you know, hence the emotions. Who, do you know who recorded it? Do you know why they recorded it, what they were trying to achieve? No, I have no idea. It was a private call. It was a. It was actually a call to all the suppliers of, of um, Edcon, and um, you know, an hour later, it started service, um, surfacing on WhatsApp, uh, and it started getting spread around that way. Um, but no, I have no idea who recorded it or, or or who sent it out. It came through to me that day from a party who shall go unnamed, but I know it wasn't them who recorded it. I don't know if they know who recorded it. But at 23 minutes past five, and I was walking to the studio to do a market report on 702, and I listened to about half of it, and I went, oh, my goodness me, this is good. And I sent you a, um, a WhatsApp saying, I, I don't, not asking for permission or a blessing, but I'm just letting you know that I'm going to play this. I hope you don't mind. But I think it's really important that people hear it. And to your credit, you went, sure, play it. Um, even though it must have been, you know, I mean, you're a, a big, burly, tough kind of guy. Um, did you worry that this might undermine your, your reputation? Bruce, if anyone else had flown me other than you, I would have probably tried to stop them, even though I couldn't have. 
So that, that speaks somewhat to my, my trust and respect for you. Um, it had been going around all day. So I, I, by that stage, I'd come to terms with the fact that it was going to be public. Okay. So, and, it, and it did become, and I think the fact that it became public was a good thing, don't you? I, I think in hindsight, others have told me that um, it was a net positive uh, call. I think it, you know, somewhat um, uh, gathered the moment, uh, garnished the moment or captured the moment. Um, yeah. I, of course, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just passing on some bad news. But yeah. um, I also think it, it helped communicate just how seriously management at Edcon at the time and the board was taking our responsibility. That and just actually, I mean, the bigger implications of what was about to happen, because on the surface, like a lot of people went, whoo, three week holiday. Awesome. We don't have to go to work. And nobody was connected to the Internet anyway. Um, It turned into a five week hard lockdown and many, many stages and complications after that. But it turned into a, a hell of a time. What have you been doing in the two years since then? Well, actually, immediately after that call, we actually went to work. So our lockdown, um, uh, EdCon um, management's lockdown, was preparing uh, the business rescue case. Uh, It was then put into business rescue, and we spent the rest of the year trying to save as many jobs as we could by selling off the bits and pieces. And I think everyone knows that history. Um, I then took a break. I mean, Uh, and and Jet is doing well, and Edgar's, by all accounts, is doing well. I think you were on a... I think the repair was working. It just was, you know, somebody stood on the oxygen pipe. Yes, I, I think ultimately I feel I feel good about what we achieved. It was a difficult uh, uh, ask. Um, I, you know, actually COVID brought some certainty to an otherwise uncertain situation and actually got everyone in the right frame of mind to just go ahead and sell off all the bits and pieces um, and essentially save the core of the business. I think most of the jobs were saved. So I don't. We may not have achieved that without COVID. So you know, um, it's difficult to tell when if a, a short-term problem is not always yeah. some uh, long-term um, opportunity. So then you took some time out. Yeah. So then I took some time out. Uh, I've, I've tried a few things. Uh, kept myself busy. Um, and then, you know, the, over Christmas this year, decided that it was time I, I, I got back into the business of uh, of uh, business. And the business of business you've chosen is in the energy space and the energy environment, because uh, to remind people about your your degree, um, you are an electrical engineer. That's what you trained as. And you were one heartbeat away at one point to becoming the next CEO of ESCOM. That was what, 2017? Was I right on that point? Uh, your story, you know, may be mostly right. Um, you know, not worth arguing. The difference is not worth arguing over. It certainly was true at some point as part of the recruitment process. Um, whether it was uh, Coco or Malefi who got uh, appointed, I, I can't oh, remember. okay. But certainly at that time, I put my hand up for that, um, um, uh, you know, and, and I, I sort of, I think, relished the opportunity. Uh, instead, I did EdCon. So, um, uh, you know, that that was my involvement in that process. What if you'd got the job instead of whoever it was who had got the job? And we know, uh, courtesy of the Chief Justice Raymond Zondor, that neither gentlemen covered themselves in extraordinary glory um, in uh, pr- providing energy security for the country. Yeah, I think, I think you know, had uh, government and um, 
the unions and all other interested parties agreed to the point of someone like myself, which ultimately they did. I, I think, you know, uh, uh, the current CEO, Andre de Reuter, has probably got a, a similar experience to myself. Um, you know, it would have signaled a, a desire that um, they wanted Edcon cleaned up and fixed. At that time, obviously, that desire didn't exist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably somewhat grateful I don't find myself in that position. But, you know, I would have stood up uh, uh, and, and, and taken the responsibility had I been asked. Would we have been further down the energy security path had you accepted or might you have been driven um, over the edge, I wonder? Uh, no, I don't think we would be further down. Um, uh, I think, the, you know, first of all, my ap- utmost respect uh, uh, to the current management team and the board. Um, the, you know, it, it's a much larger but not the similar problem I had at EDCON. Um, and there is there is huge stakes in failure. Um, so, you know, um, but no, I don't think so. I, you know, my, my view of, of the current situation is that there's there's been quite a lot of transparent disclosure, perhaps not properly interpreted by the board and the management team. Um, I, I, I think uh, uh, load shedding is permanent in our lives. I think all businesses and, and citizens of the country just need to come to terms with it. I think how we manage it, load shedding is more important now. I don't think we're going to come out of it. I don't think we're building enough capacity for the future. Uh, and none of that is really ESCOM's fault. Um, it is uh, whoever is supposed to be making decisions about investment and capacity. So I, I think we're somewhat being distracted and blaming things on really much on small problems where the really large problems are is we are we are behind the new build curve we've been behind the new build curve since 2000 probably earlier than that and i think we're probably falling further behind the new build curve as we speak that's concerning we'll find out what he's planning to do about it in a moment the money show shapeshifters so in December, you decide to go back to work, Graham Patterson, uh, and that is at a company called Heliogen. It's American, right? Yes, it's a California tech company. It's recently listed on the New York Stock Exchange, where you can go to its website to find out about it. And it operates, and, and I know you're going to ask me some questions now, it operates at industrial scale with concentrated solar power. Okay, and that means in what in English? It takes football fields, puts solar exactly. panels on them, um, and uh, and and creates massive power projects, a bit like we're seeing mining companies do for themselves at the moment across South Africa. Correct. Uh, you know, if you uh, are a consumer, if you own a house, um, the way you would be dealing with uh, your load shedding and electricity cost problem is you would be installing solar geysers and putting PV panels on your roof. And, and getting a battery and inverter. And, and, you know, that'll sort your problem out. At an industrial scale, uh, they've got the same choices, except that at the moment, the best way to use, the best technology that's available to use the sun or PV panel, there's not really the equivalent of a solar water heater. And that's exactly, that's um, the technology that Heliogen has um, developed. Uh, at industrial scale, so small enough, five megawatts that can supply a factory, they're able to capture the heat of the sun through uh, focusing mirrors on a tower, uh, generate steam, and then uh, sell that steam to large industrial users. And so that's the micro segment it operates in. 
That's a, a huge operation with massive infrastructure spend. What are you hoping to do as the managing director for Africa? Um, are you going on a big infrastructure spend or what are you doing? Well, um, we've, we're first going to start off with uh, market education. You know, up to now, um, our understanding of this uh, technology called CSP, uh, concentrated solar power, has mostly been at utility scale. You know, we've got pictures in our minds of these very large tracts of land with mirrors pointing and a glowing middle sector, and that generates electricity and puts it on the grid. That's somewhat expensive. Um, uh, and so, you know, what, what uh, we've got to try and do is we've got to try and educate industrial users that they can stop or, or reduce the amount of coal that they burn to produce steam for industrial processes. And most factories have used steam. Um, what they can do is reduce that amount of coal they, they are burning to produce steam uh, and replace it with sun-sourced steam quite efficiently. That's essentially the task. First educate, then start doing some pre-visibility studies and find the customer's who this uh, technology will suit, uh, and then after that, start the process of financing it uh, and constructing and installing the, the, the technology. And we'll be involved in all steps. Uh, and this isn't so. This isn't just an ESCOM solution. This is a corporate solution. This is a solution that um, you might install at the edge of a of a factory site, for example, or uh, alongside a mine, for example. Yes, correct. I think that's right. It's not. It's not initially anyway. Um, targeted as a um, ESCOM type solution, we're not we're not looking to sell electricity necessarily. We can, by the way, we can sell, we can produce electricity, and we can also produce green hydrogen. I think those will come later. For the moment, this is trying to tackle the carbon problem uh, and the pollution problem of all this coal being burned to produce steam and heat for industrial processes. You know, perhaps not something that's top of mind with everyone, and that and hence. Well, we've probably got to start with some education processes. But if you look through the corporate um, brochures and, and annual reports, huge commitments have been made by corporates from all sectors to achieve net carbon. Um, yeah. And at the moment, there's not a lot of op- technological options for them to use. This is your second bite at the renewables cherry. You previously were uh, briefly um, in between these other jobs, looked at, uh, you considered going to solar previously. This is far more advanced technology, it seems like. Well, yes, it's, it's further up the bleeding edge. Um, so so the, the other business, which was, which was sold off and is you know, still operating, um, was, was mostly participating in the REAP. Um, projects. I'm sure that term is familiar to most people. Yeah. And then was also doing commercial PV rooftop. So, you know, that those there are thousands of businesses in South Africa doing that. It's a it's a growing and important sector. This uh, technology just gives um, corporates, uh, industrial users, another technological option, probably to be used alongside PV as opposed to instead of PV. But um, at the moment, there are no options. If you want to produce steam in South Africa, industrials levels these days all you can do is burn um coal there's there's no other options so we'll just provide an option when do you anticipate you'll be ready to start doing installations i mean is this a two-year project a five-year project longer um yeah it certainly is a process we're talking about uh, you know tens of millions of dollars each project um and so it, it, it it's got less demands on it from a permitting process you know because you're not connecting to the grid 
Um, so it's more, uh, uh, they, say, they talk about it as a behind the meter solution. But, yeah. but there, are, there are processes that are going to have to be followed first to get the customers to understand it, do the pre-feasibilities, uh, get the boards to approve it, uh, get all the contracts in place, and then finance it. And I, I suspect that probably is a two-year process. Grant Patterson, good to catch up. Nice to, to have you on The Money Show again. Thank you for joining us. The Managing Director for Africa at HelioGen. Interesting business, interesting concept, interesting idea. All ideas welcome, thank you, to avoid what Grant Patterson says is a permanent state of load shedding.